0: Good morning everyone, um, my name is Nicole um, and today um, we'll be reading the Bible from Colossians chapter 1 um, so you can take your time to um, open up the Bible and either in an app or a hard copy um, to yeah, Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. But before we open up the Bible, we'll spend some, some time in, in prayer. Dear God, thank you so much for the opportunity to meet together this morning. Um, really pray that um, as we open up your word and as we reflect on um, your values that you present to us through your word, that we will be inspired to go out through our weeks to, to live Christ-centered lives. Um, and Lord, we really just pray that we can challenge each other to do that. And Lord, we pray that we'll have open hearts and open minds as we listen to James speak shortly. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, so Colossians chapter 1, starting at verse 15. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself, all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross.
1: Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? Good, good. Uh, Two quick notices just before we plunge into things. One, uh, do please... Follow the link in the newsletter to register for the workshop on Saturday, just so we've got an idea about how many people are coming along so we can do catering and all that sort of stuff. If you can follow that link and register, that would be really helpful. The other thing I just want to let you know about, really quick, is that you'll remember at the end of last year, we went through a lengthy process to nominate new elders for our church. And you remember that Tim Collard and Wade Itema were both approved, and they, we're going to have the induction service for them. On March 5th. So at the moment, I think the plan is for us to do one of them at each of the two services so that both congregations get to see uh, one of the elders being inducted. Uh, We need to formally let you guys know about that, Uh, and so that'll be a really good Sunday to come along to and support them uh, and see that happening together. All right, so... As Scott mentioned earlier, this morning we are continuing on with our series looking at the vision, mission, values, and culture of our church. And we've been looking at sort of the big picture of things, uh, reminding you what that is each week before we dive into a smaller section. So the last couple of weeks we've covered that our vision is to be an ever-growing community who loves the Lord and each other, and it's our mission to make Christ-like disciples in Southeast Brisbane and beyond. And now we're in the middle of spending three weeks looking at our values, where our vision and mission are built on our foundational values of being biblical, Christ-centered, and loving. And the reason these values are really important for us to spend some time on is because they are foundational. The whole point of this series is for us to get clarity on what it is that we as a church are building and what we're seeking to be. But the thing is that as we seek to build up, we need firm foundations on which to build. I don't know if you guys have seen these illustrations before. It's from a book by a guy by the name of David Macaulay, who basically does these cool sort of impressions of what buildings look like from different angles. So this one is imagining that you're underneath all these skyscrapers, looking up and seeing those those foundations that are going deep down into the earth, right? And so the thing is is about foundations is you don't always see them. You're not always talking about them directly. But the thing is, without those foundations going deep down into the earth, then the buildings that they are built upon would topple over. And we've all heard stories of churches that have gone well or experienced great growth or seem to be doing really exciting things. But if it's built in a faulty foundation, then ultimately it crumbles, And so it's really important for us from time to time to spend time looking at the foundations again, understanding what they are, because if we're not building on those things, then we're simply setting ourselves up for a fool. That's why this stuff is so important and worth spending time on. So last week, we looked at the first of our values being biblical. I'm going to do a little bit of a brief recap uh, as we get going in just a sec on what that means for us. But today, we're really focusing on what it means for us to be Christ-centered as a church. And the thing is that being Christ-centered is something that you might sort of, it's a phrase that you might hear around church circles and that sort of thing. But again, it's one of those things. If I asked you to define it, how easily, how quickly could you say, oh, yeah, Christ-centered, I understand what that means. It means Christ at the middle of my life. Awesome. Great. What does that mean? it gets harder, right, to put some specifics on it. But, but we've got some really great stuff in the scriptures that actually really help give us a full picture of what it means for us to be Christ-centered. And what it means, we're going to look at it under these four headings. It means that Christ is at the center of knowing God, at the center of salvation, the center of the world and church, sorry, must have had a bad slide in there, and also our lives. Okay, so we're going to start off by first looking at this idea of what it means for Christ to be at the center of knowing God. Now, this is a little bit of an overlap with what we were looking at last week, but that's okay. It's good messages to reinforce. So I'll go through this quickly, but do go back and, and catch up on last week's if you didn't see it uh, online. But last week, we looked at this idea that in past times, in the Old Testament, before the coming of Christ, God spoke to his people in various ways, primarily through prophets. But now that Jesus has come, the primary way that God speaks to his people is through his Son, it's through Jesus Christ. Specifically, we looked at the idea coming out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 here that it is in the gospel that we know God. So it says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The light of the gospel is what gives us insight and understanding as to who. Christ is, who is the image of God. In seeing Christ and knowing Christ, we know God. We're going to look at that idea again a little bit more later. And so we concluded that we know God through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in the knowledge of this gospel, and we we talked about how there are a couple of different ways that you could succinctly say it. This is just one. But this idea that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come into this world, died for our sins, and risen from the dead so that we might have eternal life through faith in him. That is the good news. That is the proclamation of the gospel. If you believe this, if you know this, incredible as it may sound, you know God truly. This is all you need to know and believe for salvation. And yet we looked at it at the same time, that the gospel, as as brilliant and as profound, as amazing as that statement is, and as incredible as the truth is that's proclaimed in it, we understand better when we see it in light of all the scriptures. And so we looked at how Jesus on the road to Emmaus, when wanting to explain to his disciples, his followers who knew about his death, who'd heard about his resurrection and yet still lacked understanding as to what this means, opened up, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, and explained from all the scriptures what it said about himself. There's this idea that we understand the gospel most clearly and deeply and fully when we understand it in light of all the scriptures. And Christ is at the center Of this understanding. But what I want to push a little bit further into the idea here is not just knowing Christ through the Word of God, but that we know God truly. And catch me on this one, guys. Not just when we know the Bible, but rather we know the person who the Bible reveals to us. And this is a key distinction, okay? This is really, really important. We don't know God through the Bible, not in the sense of, okay? The Bible is the most important thing for us to know. Jesus is the most important thing for us to know. And the Bible is the way that we engage with, know, understand, hear from, and see him. So this is how Jesus phrased it in the upper room in the night before he was crucified. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's all about, he puts the focus dead center on himself. The way, the truth, the life. No other way except through Christ. Again, we'll come back to that in a little bit. But then he says, "No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also." Now Jesus is very big on his words, in hearing him, listening to him, obeying him. And in John's gospel he's very big on seeing him, but this is the important thing here. He says, "You need to know me." Does that include his word? Absolutely. Does that include the scriptures as the ways through which we see Christ? Absolutely. But what's most vital for us is that we know the person of Christ. Okay, it's the difference between knowing my wife, spending time with her, being with her, knowing her as a person, and reading her autobiography. The autobiography is good, contains lots of helpful information, might help me plan a really good Valentine's Day in accordance with her likes and personality quirks, which in my instance looks like do nothing because that is a waste of money, all right? That's what it looks like for me and my family. That's cool. However you do yours, you do you, all right? But the thing is, is that autobiography is not my wife. Can it give me really great, helpful information? If it's done really, really well, is it special and important? Absolutely. But it's still not the person itself. Now, it gets a little bit, you know, God, the connection between Jesus and his words is much tighter between my wife and her autobiography. Coming out soon, actually. instead no, I'm kidding. Um, So I don't want to take that too far, but but you get the idea, right? As good as God's word is, as much as the the revelation of God has been given to us in his word, it's about knowing the person of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, whoever has engaged with the Bible knows me. It's whoever has seen me. And we see Christ and hear from Christ in the scriptures. But the fundamental idea that I want us to get at is that we know God truly when we know the person of Christ. I don't know about you guys, but but sometimes in Christian circles we can talk about having a, a personal relationship with Jesus. But for lots of it, that's lots of us. That's really hard, right? Because it's like Jesus isn't here with me physically. Like I, I don't know. And this is the thing. We need to recognize that Jesus is a living, active person who is by the Father's side right now. He may not be here physically with us but in his word he's given us what we need to know him as a person not just know a bunch of rules not just know a bunch of propositions about him not just know a bunch of facts about the bible or about jesus in that you know sort of i can pass a test sense but in those words of god what's been given to me is what i need to know the person of jesus it's like have you ever again getting back to the autobiography idea have you ever read like a really great autobiography and you've sort of come away from a sense of actually, and when it's been done really well, like you know that person, like, you, like that's what a great autobiography does, right? All of a sudden, I feel like I, I, this person is someone I've, I've connected with because I've, I've connected with their thoughts. It might be through a word on a page, but now I sort of know something about them, and that's what we want to make sure. We, we want to value the Bible because of the truth it reveals to us, but we don't value the Bible just as its own, but rather the means by which. Jesus, the person, is revealed to us. Okay, so that's the first thing. We, we don't worship a book. We worship the person of Jesus, which we know through the Scriptures, who we know through the Scriptures. All right, so that's the first one. He's at the center of us for knowing God. That's what it means for us to be Christ-centered. Number two, he's at the center of our salvation. Okay, we're going to spend some time on this. Lots of stuff you might have heard before, but I want to direct your attention to it again because this is vital stuff. Paul writes famously in Romans chapter 5 this explanation of what the work of Christ has done. He says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. Manifested means revealed, that sort of idea. Apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, remember Jesus explained from all the scriptures what it said about himself. It's the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. The righteousness of God all right, comes to us through faith in Jesus. Righteousness, okay, it's a declaration that we are just before God. Not because of what we have done, but through faith in Jesus Christ. It's through faith in Christ that we are made righteous. He says, "...for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified through His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Redemption is this idea of where something is being held captive or being held on trust, okay? And when we set it free, when we, when we claim it from that trust, we are redeeming it. That it the, it's the language of like a gift voucher. Like when you give, give a gift voucher somewhere, you, you're redeeming the money that's being held by that store so you can get your new jacket. I've got this card, now I redeem I'm a jacked it, which is mine, and it's going to be awesome, and now I claim it. That's the idea of redemption, okay? So it's through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be, see, be received by faith. What's the point of all this? Paul is trying to make it really crystal clear, clear that the reason that we are just, been, that we've been declared not guilty, the reason that we can be called righteous is because of what Christ has done for us. It's his work that has set us free from sin. He's redeemed us from that. He's He's released us from from the hold that sin had on us through his blood, his work on the cross. Jesus in his death for us takes our place and it's through that work on the cross, it's through what he does physically and concretely for us, that we are able to be saved, to be declared righteous. It is through Christ's work on the cross that we receive salvation. So he's at the center of the mechanics, the very physical act that makes salvation for us possible. He is the one who did it, the person of Christ. All right, so there's a, there's a, he acted in history. He acted in the physical world to make this Happen. That's the first way he's at the center of our salvation. But the second is what we, you know, you could broadly sort of talk about the more spiritual way that he's at the center of our salvation. There's Paul in a famous passage in Ephesians, writing to the the church there in Ephesus, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. I'm going to keep reading through these passages and the the blessings that we have here described for us, but notice how every single time he talks about these blessings, he says that they are either in Christ, through Christ, or with Christ. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He goes on to say, In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with the pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given to us in the one he loves. But note again, adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, his grace given to us in the one he loves. He keeps going. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. All of this is in him. There's this real spiritual sense here in which we have been joined to Christ and now live in him. We're going to see a little bit later that there's also this parallel idea that he also lives in us. But when we talk about Christ being at the center of our salvation, we mean he's the one who physically died on the cross to pay the price for us. He is the the one who acted in history to rescue and redeem us. But even now, he is the one in whom we were chosen before the creation of the world. It's always been the plan that was executed through him that we were going to be partakers in salvation. He's at the center of this on every single level. Paul talks about it this way in Romans. Romans. He says, don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Again, baptized into Christ Jesus, joined with him in his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. The new life that we experience It's because we've been joined to Jesus. We were baptized into his death. We join him in his death. And just as he raises from the dead, because we've been joined to him spiritually through our faith in him, we too are raised up to life. Every single part of salvation, Christ is at the center. He is the one who is acting in this. He goes on to say, for if we've been united with him in a death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. The reason that we can have such certain hope for salvation as Christians is this promise that Jesus is now with us. If you're ever in doubt, if you're ever worried about, am I saved, am I really gonna make it through to the end and all that sort of stuff, if you are believing in Jesus and the promise of God to you is, he is in you, with you, for you, and that is the source of our confidence and hope. He is the one who makes our salvation possible. It's not dependent on us. As long as I'm believing and trusting in him as well, as long as that union is maintained by my faith in him, his promise to us is that he will save and rescue us, not because of anything I've done, but because I'm joined to him. I wasn't going to do this, but this is too much fun not to. Uh, wh- wh- where would I find a couple of volunteers that might really be willing to help me with some sort of... Oh, look, well, wow, look at the girls in the front row, cool. Um, all right, yeah, you three, come on up. All right. Oh, this is perfect, you would colour-coordinated, brilliant. Okay, uh, Ella, you stand over here, okay. Great. You're, you're, the, you're, the, you're the manager at the nightclub, okay. All right, now here's the deal, okay. Okay. Uh, I'm playing Jesus, of course. Uh, and these, these guys, okay, here in yellow, okay, uh, they're not cool, all right? Uh, it's got nothing to do with you guys personally. It's just for the sake of this illustration, okay? Don't get down on yourselves, okay? Now, look, uh, he, Ella, here's the deal. Okay, do you want to cool, not cool people coming into your nightclub? No. Okay, so girls, try and get into that nightclub there. Okay, what are you going to do if they try and get in? No, thank you. No, thank you, all right? No, no, no. okay. <laughs> They can't get in on their own, okay, all right, but now, okay, if I show up being incredibly cool, you know, all right, oh, how you doing, it's good to see you, all right, yeah, club rocking tonight, ready to go, yeah, awesome, okay, listen, I got these guys with me, they're with me, okay, yeah. okay it's like, that, 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 yeah, yeah. that's, yeah, all right, go, go, go. come on through, okay, it's cool, you guys with me, yeah, awesome, okay, I got them in the club, okay, was it because of anything they did, no, okay, they're not cool, sorry. All right? But this is the point, okay? It's all Jesus. Okay? It, in this illustration, it's all me. It, they're in because of me. Nothing that they did. It's all me. I'm at the center of that entire thing. Made the whole thing work for them. All they did was make sure they were with me. And that's what our faith in Jesus does for us it, it makes us with Jesus so that we know we can trust in everything that He does to bring us through to salvation. Thank you, girls. Give them a round of applause. Great job, girls. Okay, so we need to understand that all the blessings of salvation have been given to us in our union with Christ. Through faith in Him, I'm joined to Him, and He makes it possible, all right, for us to press on to righteousness, to be with God, to get into the club, okay, of heaven, uh, sorry, um, because we're with Him. So Christ is the center of all of that. And really importantly, okay, as it sort of hinted at just before, it's only through Him. Okay. In Acts, it was preached, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation in no one else. It's only through Jesus, it's only by keeping him at the center, it's only by having him as the object of our faith that we enter into salvation because it's he is the only one through which we must be saved. All right, so it is through Christ alone that we receive salvation. All right, so we've looked at what it means for Christ to be at the center of knowing God, to be at the center of salvation, and also the world and the church. And this is an idea that comes up a couple of times and if if the relationship that we have with Jesus is deeply personal. This is where we have to remember that Jesus is very, very big, and recognizing that is part of keeping Him at the centre. So, drop off the reference there. So this is uh, from one Corinthians uh, chapter eight, verse six. For us there is but one God, the Father, from whom all things came, and for whom we live, and there is but one Lord, Jesus Christ. Through whom all things came and through whom we live." 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse six. "All things have life through Christ." We heard it in our Bible reading. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Does doesn't mean he was the first one created. it means he is the most preeminent, the most primary. He is the inheritor of all that God has. That's the idea that's, con- that's the firstborn language is contributing there. But know what it says. He is the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. And notice how exhaustive Paul is in describing what all things means here. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, And same verse, but just to make the point, the picture again. All things were created through him and for him. Jesus is absolutely the son of God come into the flesh, who was a carpenter from Nazareth, who is the perfect human example for us who lived an entirely human life, who, who, who knew people, who looked them in the eye, who was face to face with them, who was gentle Jesus, meek and mild. All those things are absolutely true. But at the same time, we don't understand Christ fully if we don't understand that he is the creator of the entire world, that all things have been made and created through Him, When we talk about Christ being Christ-centered, what that means is understanding that all of this world has Christ at the center because he is the one in whom all things hold together. If Jesus ceased to do his work, all creation stops. And so part of recognizing having Christ at the center means that we understand that everything that happens in this world is because Christ wills it. Because he's made this place and and all the plans for this world were made through him with the Father and the Holy Spirit. Christ is is continually put before us at the center of all things. And flowing on from that, he he is the head of the body the church. All things were made through him, but also we can't forget that the, the church, the people of God, has him at the center. He is the one through whom the church has been born. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That's a reference to his resurrection. That if he created all things before sin, after sin came, he is the one who dies and rises again in order to create the new life that is to come. That there'll be a new heavens and a new earth, and Jesus is the first sign of that, is the first one who's risen from the dead. And so he's at the center of all of creation, but he's also the center of all things. He he is preeminent He's the creator of all creation and the head of all the church. And so when we talk about keeping him at the center of all things, what that means is is that we trust him as the one who's over all things. That verse goes on to talk about how all things will be reconciled in him. History's future will be fulfilled in Christ. Beginning, present, and end, Christ is at the center of, of all of it. So, for us, being Christ centered means that we see the world and everything happening in it through that lens. If we want to understand what's happening in history, we see it in terms of what Christ has done in creation. We see it in the sustaining power that He gives to all of us now and the new life that He brings in the church, but also the promise of what He's going to do with the new heavens and the earth to come. Christ is at the center of how we see the entire world. And then lastly, it means Christ is at the center of our lives, which we'll express this way this morning. It means that we live for Christ, in Christ, and with Christ. And you can sort of see how this stuff overlaps, but that's okay, that's good. We're going to keep looking at it from different angles. So first up, we live for Christ. Okay. Colossians 3.15 says this, And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Everything that we do is meant to be for God through Christ. We live for Christ. We live to give Him glory. We live to honor Him. Whatever you're doing, as you're sitting here right now, listening to this sermon, being encouraged from the word of God, we do this for Christ. It's great encouragement to me as a preacher because I know that when you're fading, okay, that you know, there's a hope that you might remember i meant to be doing this for Jesus, and even if I'm boring as, you guys will come back for his sake. It means that through the week, as we go about getting the kids to school, As we go to the gym to take care of our body, as we do the jobs that we're in, the different work that we have before us, as we have relationships with people around us, as we seek to serve the community, to serve here in church, that while on one level we we do these because of the commitments and responsibilities that we've made to people, that we've made to each other, fundamentally, Whatever we do in word or deed is first and foremost meant to be for Christ. You know, it, it's never quite as, as pure for that. There's, there's always multiple motives going on in our hearts. And I just want to actually dwell on this just for a second because I think that sometimes when we talk about this, that I should be doing everything for God, we can start to beat up in ourselves or have a weird idea about what that actually looks like. And it's like, oh, you know what? I was kind of actually doing that because I knew that I was going to get something back in return or I was doing that so I can get that person to like me. And we can get real weird about it and sort of, I just never seem to be doing anything for God properly because it's never completely just purely for him. But I don't think that's the picture that we have in scripture as far as what we're actually called to be doing in this. We're always going to have different motives. We're complex people. We have complex emotions. There's all sorts of stuff that's gone on in our history. There's all sorts of relational stuff that we have going on at the same time. There's personal things and all this. When we talk about doing everything for Christ, we don't mean that that's to the exclusion of each and every single other desire. Some desires are good. I can do it for Christ while I'm doing it for the love of somebody else. I can even doing it for Christ while also kind of recognizing, yeah, I know I'm going to get something nice out of this too. Like that doesn't invalidate one or the other. But the important thing is is that we we actually are constantly evaluating ourselves, not to make sure that we're perfectly nailing it with no other motive, but rather that am I doing my job? Am I I doing parenting? Am I I doing friendship? Am I I doing all these different things for Christ? Am I doing it in a way that honors him? Am I doing it in a way that, that pleases him? Like so often when we are doing things in a way that's displeasing for God, it's because we have sort of, whether intentionally or accidentally, or just haven't developed the habit yet of keeping him in it, pushed him away from it. Oh, you wouldn't believe what so-and-so did. I couldn't be, they did this and everything, and I just bit back because we did. Were you doing that for God? What? No. You might not want to bring that up just in that moment of that conversation. might want to you know, let that play out a little bit. But the thing is, is that so often the choices that we make, if, if we are simply reminded to ask ourselves the question, am I doing this for Christ? If I keep that idea at the center, it's amazing how my whole posture shifts in virtually every single situation. So that's the first idea. Whatever we do in word or deed, we want to do it for the Lord. Next up, we live for Christ and in Christ. It says here in Galatians, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I've already gone through earlier what it looks like for us to be in Christ through faith in him, to be with him, joined to him, that sort of idea. But the other thing that goes with this is that by living in Christ also means that Christ lives in me, which again is an incredible encouragement. And if you can start to see the world through this lens, it opens up all sorts of things. Get this, right? As much as Christ is the creator of all the world, like we said before, and there's a real sense in which Christ is holding all things together, everything is happening through him, and in that sense, he is present. There's a difference between God's Spirit being at work everywhere and God's Spirit being work in people's hearts and what it means for a Christian to enter the room when there's a bunch of people there who don't believe. Because as much as I want to affirm that, yes, God is always active and his Spirit is always involved in all things that happen... Because God's Spirit lives in you, when you walk into a room, you bring Christ's Spirit, Christ's presence with you. That, that again, I'm keeping Christ at the center of all things because I know now that I've brought him with me into this space, that he is with me here in it. And that it doesn't matter where. It doesn't matter if I'm in a really hostile workplace. It doesn't matter if I'm at a, at a place in school where there's open persecution and that sort of stuff and people are being hard on me. If I can catch hold of this idea that everywhere I go, Christ is in me, that means two things. It means that I've just brought the presence of God to these people, whether they like it or not. You're welcome. But it also means that no matter what I'm facing, whatever trouble I'm enduring, whatever difficulty I'm currently experiencing, that I'm doing so while Christ lives in me. Which flows onto that last one, this idea that Christ is with me, but we'll get there in just a second, right? This is how Jesus says in 1 John, and this is his command, to believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and to love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. Now don't get confused, remember, lots of us here, we've worked through the gospel of John. When John is talking about keeping Jesus' command, what command is he referring to? Believe in me. A couple of verses earlier, he talks about the command of Jesus, the command of God is believe in me. So the way we read this is the one who keeps God's commands, the one who believes in him, lives in him, and he in them. Christ is in us. We keep Christ at the center by remembering and recognizing that who we are is defined by the fact that Christ is in us. As we sung at the start, what a great song. I am who you say that I am. Our very identity, the very way that we perceive ourselves ourselves, is through the lens of of what Christ says about me, that Christ's spirit lives in me, that I'm saved, that I'm rescued, that I'm redeemed. Before I think anything else about myself, the fundamental starting place for us as believers is to recognize I'm a child of God, created by him, redeemed and rescued, made holy, made righteous, chosen in him before the foundation of the world. My fate is completely secure. All that before I even brush my teeth in the morning. That's what it means to keep Christ at the center, to see even myself in my own mind and heart through that lens. And lastly, that Christ is with us, that we are with Christ. In Romans 6, 8, it says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. Last point, it, it, it's all flowing together. I hope you're seeing this but we, we live with him. Like, he's, he's present. He's here. All right, video team, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Like, I, just, I need to make this point, okay? He's not up there, right? Like, like, he's not on stage. He's not up far away and all that sort of, he, he's here with us. Like, he, he's here now. Where, wherever we go, whatever we're doing, He's with us. He's not far away. We're not talking about some sort of spiritual, like, oh, yeah, he's with us in some sort of, you know, I don't know, odd awkward way or something like that. No, he's just, he's here. He's with you right now. Not even in the seat next to you. He's, like, in your heart. And this is what it means for us to keep Christ at the center. This is what it talks about when we talk about living for him, living with him. It means that we don't put him up there and out there. That, that's, not, that's not where he's meant to go. Wherever we go, he, he's with me. I'm doing everything for him. This is constant. It's continual. It's not something where I come in here on, some Sunday, on Sunday and I spend some time with him and that sort of stuff and then I go about my rest of the business and I look forward to seeing him again next week. That, that, that's not what this looks like. Being Christ-centered means that we continue to live in him, remembering that he dwells in us. But it's all for him, that he's holding all things together in every single way. We just, you know, like it says in Hebrews, we keep our eyes firmly fixed on the author and finisher of our faith, laying aside the sin that so easily entangles us in order to press on to the victory that we have in Christ Jesus. So I'm going to pray for us now. I'm going to pray that we get this deep, deep inside our hearts, in our minds, and in our souls. And that we just live out of this deep love and knowledge that Jesus is with us and for us and in us in all things. Let's pray together now. Father God, we thank you so much for Jesus. We thank you that through faith in him, we we know that we are in him and that he lives in us. Thank you that he is for us and we are for him. And thank you that we are with Christ. Thank you, Father, that in knowing him, you were revealed clearly to us, that we know you through him. Thank you, Lord, that through his death on the cross, we have salvation, that it's possible for us to be forgiven and have righteousness when we believe and trust in him. Thank you that it's in Christ, that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm is ours, that we've been adopted into sonship through Jesus Christ, and the grace that he has so readily poured out upon us is in the one that you love, Jesus Christ. Thank you that his blood is the propitiation for our sins. That It's through him that we have all of these good gifts. Thank you that you've made the world and everything in it. Thank you that the church exists and lives and breathes now today and has eternal life with you through Christ and all that he has done for us. Thank you that you are at the center of our lives, that you are the object of our affection and our worship and that you are with us always. Lord, it just, it flows forth from us when we get this deep inside of us. It's all for you. And we give you praise and glory as we should. And we pray, Father, your spirit would be living and active amongst us. Lord, help us to know and understand this deeply. Help us to be a people that in being more spiritual understands this and that we take you with us wherever we go knowingly, deliberately, seeking to love and serve you in all the spaces that you've called us into. That we might see your name lifted on high and see more and more people come into your kingdom for your glory. And we thank you for this in Jesus' his precious name. Amen.